Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place, fill each place where others are seated around the city and around the country with your presence and power. Come and fill each one of us to overflowing. Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So as some of you uh, know, my children are all adopted from overseas. I have two children from Russia and one child from China. And so the other day I did some rough calculations, and on the trips for those adoptions, my wife Jenny and I flew a total of something like 77,934 miles. Uh, that's about a third of the way to the moon. So technically, I cannot tell my children that I love them all the way to the moon. But a third of the way, that's, that's a fair piece. You know, for any of us, it's always a sober thing to consider where we came from as a, compared to where we are now. As we consider that distance, whether it's a literal distance or a, a more uh, sort of qualitative distance, uh, it, it'll do something in our hearts. But of course, it's really easy for any of us to, to forget where we've come from, so we lose sight of the distance that we've walked to where we are now. And, and, and when we lose sight of that distance that we've walked, it will likewise do something in our hearts. So when we see the long distance traveled, remembering where we came from, what does that produce in our hearts? Well, maybe gratitude, maybe awe and wonder, maybe humility. When we lose sight of the distance that we've traveled because we've forgotten where we came from, what does that produce? in our hearts, maybe entitlement, maybe indifference, maybe pride. When I was uh, in the process toward ordination to the priesthood, to, to go through that is quite a gauntlet of, of steps, tons of interviews with all kinds of different committees and groups, and, 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 um, but back when I was going through the process, and I think it's probably still true today, there was always this one question that was asked of every aspirant early in the process, and it was this question. In one sentence, what's the gospel? And I don't remember exactly how I answered that question way back then, but one way you could answer it is, is like this. The gospel is the story of how God, because of his great love for me, a sinner, brought me the long distance from dead and damned to saved and alive. I think that sums it up. And friends, I don't know if there could possibly be a longer distance than that. 
And the more I meditate on the gospel and consider where I came from and where I am now, not to mention where I am headed, it most definitely does something in my heart, which I pray produces some very specific things in my daily walk. And our passage from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is just the kind of gospel presentation on which I need and And I'm guessing if I need to, I'm guessing we all need to meditate. So if you want to uh, pull out your Bibles, that would be great. Uh, We're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 976. And so I use the imagery of uh, a journey traveled, in part because in this passage, Paul uh, begins and ends it with uh, walking. So in verse 1, we have the biblical version of, the, of a hit AMC television show. It's biblical walking dead. Here we have in verse 1, Paul writing, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So Paul, he never uses subtlety and nuance, but he certainly doesn't hear. Uh, the beginning of the walk, he says, is Death. Death in one's trespasses and sins. And by death, Paul means death. It's a very real death. Paul uses these two terms, though, of trespasses and sins. Trespasses, that means false steps, uh, deviations from God's uh, will and his path, his right path, right? So it's, it's rebelliousness, doing what's right in your own eyes. Sins, that means missing the mark. That means falling short of the standard, a failure. And so in our trespasses and in our sins, there's death, spiritual death, which means there is separation from the life of God. We're separated from the life of God as rebels, trespasses, and as failures sins. You could call it, we are separated from the life of God because of those things we've done, those sins of commission and the sins of omission. The prophet Isaiah describes uh, spiritual death, walking in trespasses and sins this way in chapter 59, verse 2 of his book. He writes, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he does not hear. And let us be clear about this walk that that Paul is describing here in verse 1. It is the walk of the dead. But more than that, it is the walk of the damned. So this is not just a personal um, walk away from the purposes of God. right? I just decide I kind of want to do a little something different. I'm going to go this way. It's not just a a personal failure. You're not just living with your own sort of bad decisions or missing the mark or whatever. It is a walk under the whip of a brutal and dominating captor. That's the devil. The devil himself, or as Paul calls him here in verses 2 and 3, the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. The walk is the walk 
of the dam. Verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Think of the Filipino and American POWs being trudged along in the Bataan death march in World War II. It's that kind of walk. The damned are prisoners trudging along a path of destruction with the devil driving them along mercilessly. But the damned are not only walking under the whip of the prince of the air, but they are also walking the only way they know how to walk. As those condemned under original sin. The damned were born dead in trespasses and sins. Or as Paul puts it in verse 3, they were born carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's there in the beginning. Paul is not subtle or nuanced, nor though is he selective. This is a message for all mankind, he writes. He says, you in verse 1, as he's writing to the Ephesians, most of whom We're Gentiles, and he says, we all, in verse 3, and we all includes himself, Paul, who is a Jew. So it's the Gentiles, it's the Jews, it's all of mankind. Verse 3 is a description of where every last man, woman, and child came from, and we need to sit with that. You know, the the lectionary actually didn't originally have verses 1 to 3. It's a classic move. I don't know why ACNA did that. That's kind of crazy. It's not our style. So I pulled it back in. We need to sit with one to three. We've got to sit with where we came from. And remember that before we move to verse four, because that great pivot of the gospel is wonderful and all, but, but it means very little if we haven't started in verses one to three. The trespasses and the sins and the reality of that. If we don't, there's no recognizing the move God makes and how far he is willing to transport us. So it's death and damnation for all mankind in verses 1 to 3. Then, though, verse 4, but God. Oh, man, it's a heavenly thing to see the word but after reading verses 1 to 3. Is it not? But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, from damned and dead to saved and alive. How? By his grace. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us. There's no transaction here with God, though. With us uh, on one side of the ledger and God on the other side. uh, This is grace born out of infinite love, which is shown in mercy. John Stott wrote this about what God has done here in this gospel move of his. Stott writes, We must never think of salvation as a kind of transaction between God and us in which he contributes grace and we contribute faith. For we were dead and had to be quickened before we could believe. 
This journey of those who have been saved and made alive is a very, very long distance indeed. But make no mistake, it's not one made by our own strength, but purely by God's immeasurable riches of his grace, his kindness toward damned and dead sinners, sinners like me, sinners like you. Verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not by your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the distance from where we came from to where we are is immeasurable, you might say. And then you add the fact that we didn't actually carry ourselves that distance But in fact, we're brought this immeasurable distance as a gift from God. Why? Because of his great love for us. And he loves us clearly not because of any merits on our end, right? We're dead. He loves us because he loves us. Does that do something in your heart, does it? What does it produce in your heart? We'll know what it's produced in our heart by what we do with our actions. Because Paul makes clear there's more walking to do. And Paul goes even further than just describing how far we've come, but he adds a description of how different we are now. So the salvation story of the gospel isn't just an it or a that, that thing that happened, that journey that we took, uh, but it is personal, it is ontological. It goes right to the, the actual being that we embody. We need to remember not only where we were and where we are, but what we were and what we are. And what Paul says here in verse 10 is that those who are saved and and made alive by God are God's workmanship. That word there means work of art, masterpiece. We are his workmanship, created not in abstract, not in a vacuum, but in Christ Jesus. And like anything that is well-crafted, that which is well-crafted is well-suited to its purpose. And the purpose for the saved, new creations, is, verse 10, good works which God prepared beforehand. And here comes the second mentioning of walking, that we should walk in them. And if you keep reading Ephesians, what you'll notice is there's a theme that comes from here on through. And it is a theme of unity. It appears that those good works that Paul's talking about here center principally around unity. Unity within the body of Christ. Unity within all of humanity. And so if you really meditate on this measurable riches of God's love, mercy, and kindness in our gospel story and the exceedingly long distance he has carried us from where we were to where we are, the miraculous complete transformation from what we were to what we are, the workmanship that we are, Paul says there will be good works for us to walk in and those will produce unity. I said earlier, when we remember the great distance we've traveled, it might produce gratitude, awe and wonder, humility rather than entitlement, indifference and pride. 
And the interesting thing is, is that when we walk in the good works toward unity, in unity, it actually means that that we will walk in, in the same dark places of death and damnation that we once walked before. But now we will walk as those saved and made alive, bringing the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness. We will walk being rich in mercy. We will go to those who are dead in their sin and trespasses and show great love because of the great love with which God has loved us in His Son, Christ Jesus. We will go into those same places as those saved and made alive, and we will do that without fear. For once made alive, we are alive eternally. And so I guess, friends, we must ask ourselves the question, what works are being produced in us? Where are we finding our walk taking us? Is it a walk that is rooted in unity or in something else? And I think if we are honest with ourselves and honest about what the state of things are in not just the the world, we know the world has got troubles, but it's in the church. It's in our own midst. And I see a lot of time being spent taking care of one's own. I see a lot of time spent pursuing brothers and sisters in Christ and being real fixated on those specks in their eyes, ignoring the plank in our own eye. I see tons and tons of time spent writing disparaging things, saying, I'm not one of those, as opposed to understanding who we are as these new creations, as the workmanship of of God in Christ Jesus. But oh, what could we be if we really do sit with this beautiful picture, this gospel story that we see here just in these 10 verses? Really sitting with where we were, knowing verses 1 to 3 cold, knowing so intimately and vividly where we were, dead in trespasses and sins. Seeing that miraculous pivot in verse 4, but God, knowing that God did something even to those dead in their transgressions and what it was was rich in mercy because of his great love for us. And see how different we are now. Transformed, made alive, saved through faith. And all, not because of our own merits and works, but because of God's good gift. It's by grace. Won't we be a people who are grateful? Won't we be a people filled with awe and wonder at the glories of God's goodness and mercy and grace, at the beauty of the gospel? Will we not be a people humble, loving, just as we've been loved? I think so. I think that's what can happen. Pray that's what will happen. Let's take real care, even in this Lenten season, even as we're making our way to Holy Week, even as we are taking stock of our own transgressions and sins, let's look at those kind that are uh, being produced in us that might be creating division rather than unity. Oh, it's good news. Man, haven't we come a long distance? Haven't we walked a long distance by God's grace? Amen.